Good morning, everyone. So this week, we find ourselves fast forwarding through Moses' adult life. We met him as a baby last week. And if you want to know what happened in his life between then and where we are today, then read the rest of Exodus chapter one and two. Now we're around 80 years later and the twists and turns of Moses' life have brought him to a mountainside on the edge of the wilderness, tending a flock of sheep belonging to his father-in-law. You may wonder, rightly, how this famed child from the baskets taken into the royal courts of Pharaoh, important enough for his life to be spared in a miraculous way, how is it that he has ended up in the middle of nowhere looking after someone else's sheep. That's not necessarily what we expected, right? I wonder if he ever thought the same. This is not exactly how I expected my life to pan out. But here he is in the wilderness in his advanced years, sheep for company, the daily grind, his everyday experience. So we're going to join that story together and read from the Bible from the beginning of Exodus chapter three. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along or it's going to appear on the screen as well. So this is Exodus chapter three, starting at verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is a really well-known passage of scripture. But when we read through it, I mean, what a turn for the books. Moses's life just went from another regular day to complete 180 turn. 
after the many years of turmoil and the many years of silence, just when the monotony had successfully embedded itself into Moses' life, everything turns upside down. And importantly, as we're learning across this series, it wasn't just for Moses. This wasn't just the calling of one man. These are not just individual stories. This was a sea change moment for the whole nation of Israel. And we can trace our own roots of faith, our own understanding of God through this story too. In fact, I think that the most important thing we can learn from the story today is what we learn about God. A couple of years ago, I started meeting with a spiritual director, which, you know, I'm just winning myself some kind of holy Christian points with that. To be fair, didn't really know what it was when I started. And sometimes I'm still a little unsure and I have trouble kind of explaining it to people. But what I do know is that it's really good. My spiritual director asks really good questions. Honestly, I have light bulb moments almost every time that I'm with her. And her most regular question is, and one of the most enlightening that I have found is this, what kind of God does that reveal to you? At first I was like, uh, what kind of God? What do you mean? There's only one kind of God. And then I discovered that what she was trying to get me to do was to get me out of my static and often 2D version of God that I create in my head and stick to religiously, which is ironic, and open up to the possibility that my understanding of God might be a little bit too small and that God is way more than I could ever imagine. The American author and pastor A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You may have heard that before, but he actually continues saying, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. When Moses has his burning bush moment after years of silence and monotony, what is God like? What kind of God is found? When the people of Israel, after years of oppression, find themselves on the cusp of breakthrough, what kind of God is found? When we, as individuals, as a church, find ourselves in the wilderness, in the monotony, or in the breakthrough moment, what kind of God is found. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So what do you think? It matters what you think about lots of things. It matters what you think about our world, our nation, our city, its leaders, the decisions made, our church, the environment, climate change, racial inequality, the safety of women, it matters a whole lot what you think about every single one of those things, but each of them will crumble, will waver, will falter without the foundation underneath of what we really think about God. Because everything we are, everything we have, everything we think stems from and is found in God. So it matters a whole lot what you think about when you think about God. The lens we too often put this through as Christians is, who is God to me? 
What do I want God to be like here to me? I'm at risk of that as much as the next person. And it's not entirely a, a terrible way to think, but I think the trouble with that lens is, and most especially when it becomes our default question in our approach to God, is that we end up then projecting our own ideals onto God and in essence, turning him into a bigger, grander version of ourselves. And that is not who God is. So it really matters what you think about when you think about God. Going back to this passage then and using my spiritual director, director's very good question, what kind of God do we find here? And what does that mean for us as we explore this big story of scripture, as we encounter God's plan for restoration that was present in the time of Moses as much as it is present in this very moment here? What kind of God. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. God is a speaking God. This is a momentous moment. Throughout the story of scripture, we read about these great periods of silence in the outworking of this big story. And specifically in the period before Jesus came, there were times when heaven was silent where it seemed like God was not working or moving because he was not speaking. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, and it means we can read these stories and speak about 400 years of silence easily because we know that the silence was broken and that even without speaking, God was working. God's silence did not equate his absence or his inactivity. However, how many of us resonate so deeply with the seeming silence of God. I know that for me, there are many times when my cry to God is, where are you? Why won't you say anything? So in that moment, it really matters what I think about God. It matters what kind of God I believe in. I believe that God is a speaking God and I believe that even though he may not be speaking now, he will speak. I also believe that my posture will aid my discovery. Look at that verse again. Moses went over to look. In another translation, it says Moses turned aside to see. So when God does speak, I want to have readied myself to listen. When you are wondering if God is working in the midst of your wilderness, when heaven seems silent, and when you don't yet have the benefit of hindsight on your situation, this is where the concept of faith comes into its own. We read here and we see all across scripture that even when God is silent, he is not absent. So the call to us is to exercise our faith to exercise our belief, not with some kind of blind, blinkered oblivion, but with all the facts before us, to choose faith, to choose to believe. What do you think about God? Do you believe that he is a speaking God even when he is not speaking? There's a man that comes to Jesus asking that his son would be healed. And he utters this line that I think resonates here. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe you are a speaking God. 
I believe you will not be silent forever, so help my unbelief. Don't let your unbelief be the driver. What's wonderful about that prayer is that it allows room for us to be faltering humans. As a Christian, as someone trying to follow Jesus, you don't need to just close your eyes or avoid looking at what is hard and horrible in order to try and conquer belief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I won't let my unbelief take charge. What if you adopted that prayer into the places where it seems that God is silent today? I know that I need to. I really want to show you all the different ways that God presents what kind of God he is here in this passage. But if we were to unpack all of them, we would be here all day. So I'll try and show you the ones that I find, but I'm only going to land on a few of them that seem pertinent. Verse five, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God is a holy God. The holiness of God really matters. Believe me, you want God to be holy. So do not dismiss the holiness of God. Do not brush the holiness of God under the carpet, but let it inspire awe in you. Let it influence your worship as you approach God. God is a holy God. Verse seven, I have seen the misery of my people and I am concerned about their suffering. God is a compassionate God. We will never be able to fathom the depths of the compassion of God. We see it here. We see it all over the Old Testament. But I I think we see it and understand it most clearly through Jesus, who when we read in the Gospels that he was moved with compassion, as we often do. What that really means is that he was allowing himself to be moved with gut wrenching, deep, visceral, real compassion. God is a deeply compassionate God. Verse eight, so I have come down to rescue them. God is an active God. Don't you wish that God would do things in your timing, that his activity and your imminent desire would just line up perfectly? I know I do. This is a really crucial thing that we learn about God here. He is active, not idle. He intervenes. He doesn't disregard. God is an active God. He is a God who rescues. If you're a Christian, then your life is a testimony to the rescue of God. And God has a track record of doing what no other God would do. Coming down to rescue. Not intervening from afar, but coming down to rescue. Do you see the very real difference here? What does that tell you about God then? That God himself comes down into the thick of the mess and the aching with a plan that will change everything. We see that here with how God says he will step in to bring rescue for the Israelite people. But that is not the only time that God comes down to rescue, is it? Of course not. God himself, Jesus Christ, came down to rescue ultimately and completely. This moment is a foreshadow of that ultimate moment of rescue. God is an active God. 
he always has been and he always will be. So how can you hold faith for the activity of God in your life? To choose the belief that God is active, he is not idle, that God steps in, that he doesn't disregard, even when we don't always see it, and especially when we don't understand it. Not because of my circumstances, but because of Jesus. I believe in a God who is active. And then we finally come to this wonderful bit of back and forth between God and Moses, which given that God hasn't spoken in a while and it's unlikely that Moses has ever heard his voice, never mind it coming from the midst of a bush that's on fire, it's a pretty bold move on Moses' part, I think. God says, Moses, I'm sending you, you're my choice. Moses says, to be fair, I think that's a poor choice because you've definitely got the wrong guy. I've spent the last 40 years talking to sheep. God says, don't worry, I will be with you. And Moses says, well, that's all well and good, but who should I say has sent me in the first place when I get there? Major props to Moses for sheer nerve. What kind of God do we find here? Three things. We find a permissioning God. We find a present God and we find a patient God. First, a permissioning God. He not only speaks, he is not only active himself, but he welcomes us into the journey with him. That thing we've been talking about, the melding of relationship and responsibility, here it is. God is a permissioning God. Now this doesn't mean that he's an anything goes God. Remember, he is holy but he opens up his miraculous way of rescue and makes room for us to play a part. Imagine that. You are not just a receiver of the benefits of God's rescue plan. You are a participator in it. And like I said last week, the things you may think that disqualify you from that do not. So if God is a permissioning God, what is he permissioning you towards today? What is he calling you to participate in? Listen up for that. Look for his activity and please say yes to the invitation. Second, he is a present God. Verse 12, I will be with you. A promise that once again is echoed from the lips of Jesus many generations later, but with an important addition. I will be with you always. How are you experiencing and expecting the withness of God? In the listening, in the hoping, in the watching and the waiting, in the going out and the coming in, he is with you. Thirdly, he is a patient God. Thank goodness for that. If you ever thought that you couldn't come back at God when you weren't sure what he was asking you, or when you really had your doubts, well then let Moses be your example. God is patient, infinitely. He can take your questions and your doubts and he will not tire. He is patient beyond anything you could imagine. This whole story, it finds its conclusion in one of the Bible's most enigmatic expressions. When in one moment we learn everything we need to know about God and remember again everything we will never know about God. Who will I say has sent me? asks Moses. And God says, I am who I am. Scholars have 
all sorts of ideas about what this means. And I'm not going to attempt to dive into any kind of deep theological exploration of this, but here is something. I am who I am is the kind of statement that is underlined with a full stop at the end of it. It is the thunderous voice that silences the noise and the racket in our lives. This is a powerful moment of self-revelation. God is telling us what he is like, what kind of God he is. One theologian talks of how the grammar here means that it could be more accurately translated as um, in a continuous form, I will be who I will be. That's it. God will always be who God is. So without tying ourselves in knots, what does that mean? Well, I think the standout thing for us today is that in all of these ways that God shows himself here, a God who speaks, who is holy, compassionate, active, permissioning, present, patient, above all, he is true. God will be who he will be. He cannot be untrue to his nature. He can be relied upon fully to be all of these things for us forever. I am who I am is a God we can trust to be God. And it means then that we should never stop asking that question as we figure out our place in this big story of who are you? What kind of God do I find? Because the kind of God we discover is the kind of God he always was and always will be always for us, tethered to us, constant and unchanging. This God we've discovered today is the same God that will commit unwaveringly to us thousands of years later, that we see demonstrated most fully for us in the coming of Jesus. And look at what Jesus said when he got here. In John's gospel, we read, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth and the life before Abraham was. I am. So what do you think about when you think about God today? What kind of God is showing up in your life today. Listen for the speaking God and believe in the speaking God. Look for the active God. Believe in the active God and respond to the permissioning, present and patient God. But most of all, trust in the I am God. Let me pray. So God, we thank you for how you are continually revealing yourself to us. And I thank you that there is always more that we can discover about you. Will you forgive us for the ways that we project our own ideals onto you and try and make you into the kind of God that we want you to be? Will you expand our vision of who you are today? right to the edges of our understanding so that we can know more fully who you are. Help us to trust that you are a speaking God 
even when we are experiencing silence. Help us to trust that you are an active God, even when we do not know what your activity is. And help us to respond to that permission that you give us to participate. We thank you that your promise is that you are with us, you are present. And we thank you for your eternal, unfailing patience with us. But overall, that all of that, God, help us to trust in the I am. That you are forever unchanging, fully reliable. That you are true. Help us to believe in you again today. Amen.